gathering in your presence, refocusing on you, the author and finisher of our faith, the sovereign God who knows everything about every nation and what's going on in each nation. Lord, this is a day when we need to see what you have for us in your word, and I'm confident that you've guided us to the passage where we have arrived today just when the time was fulfilled for us to get even more out of the passage than we would have. And we know that your timing is always right. And I'm grateful for that reminder. Thank you for what you're going to be teaching us and speaking to us about through your spirit, through your inspired word. And we pray that we will each absorb that. And then whatever you prompt in us, I pray that we'll do that obediently in response to that word. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> it is so good to see all of your faces. And for those of you who are streaming, thanks for joining us. We have felt more and more a gradual recurrence to in-person normalcy. And to hear the voices in that room as I stood over there, wow, it helped my soul to be still, and I appreciate that. I hope you were singing along wherever you happen to be as well, if you are virtual with us today. We're going to talk today about a passage in the book of Mark that talks about some rules, and sometimes we think of these rules as being silly or inappropriate. And we're going to find out what Jesus meant as he replied to some Pharisees, some teachers of the law, about some of these rules. But let me begin by being slightly silly and asking you if I give you some laws or some rules, and you can tell me if it's a helpful rule or a silly rule. Let's start with that, shall we? All right. Rule number one, you are not allowed to drive your car inside a school gymnasium. Is that helpful or silly? I think it's helpful. It sounds silly, but I think it's helpful. Why is it helpful? Well, it keeps us safe, I would hope, unless you're a really good driver, but I wouldn't trust that. Right, rule number two, you can be put in jail for making ugly faces at dogs and cats. Silly? You think it's silly? Would you like to know that in one town in the United States of America, that is a law that you're not allowed to make ugly faces at dogs and cats? I think it should be fair and that the dogs should not be allowed to make ugly faces back at you if we're going to do that. But yeah, I think that's a silly rule. How about this rule? You're not supposed to take somebody else's toys home and keep them for yourself unless they've been given to you. Is that a good rule or a bad rule? Yeah, that's a helpful rule. That's good. Why is that? Because we want to treat others the way we want to be treated and you wouldn't like it if they did that to you. Okay, how about number four? Preachers are not allowed to tell funny stories during his sermon. <laughs> I knew that was going to come out from somebody. Would you also like to know that in a particular state in the United States, in a city, it is passed as a law that they are not allowed to tell funny stories in their sermons? I would have, not, not Ypsilanti, I would love to have been in the discussions that led to the passing of that law. <laughs> um, we're going to see in our passage today how God's rules are given to us, 
not to make our life burdensome, but to bring us peace. And so that we can thrive under his loving leadership. So his rules are not silly. We're also going to see how there were some people who kept adding on to his rules, making them cumbersome and difficult and impossible so that they missed the original intent of God's rules. Let's read that passage. It's Lord of the Sabbath, Mark 2, 23 through 28. I'm starting at verse 23 with the NIV translation for this portion. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, if you've seen the Gladiator movie, you can picture with him rubbing his hands along the grain as he's walking through. That's what they were doing. And they began picking up some heads of grain, his disciples. And they could do that by just plucking it right off and eating it like granola. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful against the rules on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And of course they would have known this passage because they were, after all, teachers of the Old Testament. In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he, meaning David, entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, bum, 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 which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, or therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. May the Lord give us some enlightenment about what Jesus means in this part of his word. What was the original intent of the Sabbath? I think it's good for us to start there, and then we'll start unpacking what Jesus meant when he said that. Well, the original intent about that commandment, which, com which comes to us in Exodus, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy or set apart, consecrated. Number one, we're supposed to rest from our routine work, which provided a form of restoration. It restores us physically and mentally. Because if we work nonstop and never gives ourselves time for replenishing, then that starts to decline. Number two, spending time in public and private worship of God. That brings us spiritual restoration. Number three, to serve the Lord and others. And this actually restores our purpose because it's not all about us. And by worshiping, we're reminded of that purpose, and it fuels us and inspires us to go and do that which we were created to do in the beginning, which was good works that will exemplify Christ and glorify God and point people to him. So it reminds us of our purpose, so it restores purpose too. Because when we get into that black hole of serving self only, we forget that. And we don't know why we're miserable, because we've forgotten our purpose. Number four, it helps us anticipate the eternal Sabbath, our ultimate restoration. We need to be reminded what we're looking forward to. So, why do we need the Sabbath rest? Let's answer this question. And why did the Pharisees get it so wrong? <clears throat> we see at the very beginning of that passage that it was on the Sabbath when Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields. They were plucking a few grains uh, from the tops of those uh, stalks, and they were eating them. But the Pharisees said, look, it's breaking the law. Why would that be breaking the law? Because they had kept heaping more laws on top of other laws. There were 39 specific laws about what defined work on the Sabbath, and they were not supposed to do it, including reaping or harvesting grain. 
Now, when I think of reaping grain, I think of those old scythes and people walking through the fields and taking huge swaths out of the grain fields, piling them up, bundling them, carrying them to the edge of the field, or today, driving a combine like Daniel Malik would do. And we see these people who are harvesting great amounts of grain. That's harvesting. And I think that there was an original intent to the Sabbath, and these guys kept getting more and more picky about that because they confused the meaning of Sabbath and the purpose of it. So they were thinking, no, you're breaking the law. And it's easy for us immediately, and I tend to do that, to scoff at those Pharisees. You know, you just want to linger on the PH when you say their name, when you get upset at them, those Pharisees. Because we're thinking, how could they not see that there's something that's supposed to be so much more beneficial about the Sabbath? And why would they do that? Well, to their credit, there were some things they were trying to do to keep us from falling or keep those believers from falling into, I mean Jewish believers back then, to keep them from falling into habits that would pull us away from God. They didn't want us to drift. And I get that. That's okay. It's good for us not to drift in our focus. However, they had just taken it so far. But then Jesus says something, and he says something that might surprise us just a little bit. He says, down at the very end, the man, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now what we might expect him to say is, that's a dumb rule, Pharisees. And you've gotten it so wrong, and I came to obliterate those dumb rules. I'm going to tell you how to live your life. You're going to do it my way now. That just sounds like one tyrant replacing another tyrant, which we've seen in world history that happens in leaders in our world. Might be happening today. But Jesus didn't say, I came down here to do away with the Sabbath. He said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I think that's telling, and I think it's vital, and I think it's important. Because for us, if we are serving Christ, we're serving the Lord of the Sabbath. That also means that He is a Lord of some sort of Sabbath that we are still going to participate in, and it's going to be good for us as we do so. So we're not supposed to look at that and say, I'm going to get as far away from Phariseeism as I can by walking away and never observing anything that sounds like organized religious stuff. That's not what Jesus says here. There's God's rhythm of rest that we see all in creation, and we see it everywhere. Back in those days, he was using the grain field as an example, so it just becomes really obvious that agriculture showed this rhythm of rest. I was reading up on agriculture because I'm not an expert on that, but I understand that there was a habit quite a bit in the earlier days of agriculture when people would let one portion of their field or maybe one specific area lie fallow for one season, meaning that they are going unplanted for a season. Why is that? Because you can run your soil into the ground, so to speak. That's a funny metaphor. But you can use up all the minerals and resources, the nutrients in the ground, until it becomes infertile. It's no longer fruitful. That sound like a good analogy? If you overuse something without giving it time to rest and replenish, then you're going to become unfruitful. It's a great analogy, and so I think it's no coincidence that Jesus would use agricultural comments to help bring this to light as well. Why is it so necessary to rest? Because if you allow the natural plants in that area to replenish the nutrients, then when you plant again, the fruitfulness goes back up again. Sometimes they'll do crop rotation like that. I used to love coming when I lived in Tecumseh and would drive out here. There was one field that one year I think it was about every seventh or eighth year, I don't know what it was for that farmer, he would replant something that used to be soybeans and it would all be sunflowers. And I stopped and snapped some pictures there. 
next to the sign that said, don't step into this field to snap pictures. <laughs> Apparently a lot of people did that because it was a gorgeous field. But it was so fun to see that. And he did so on purpose because he was doing crop rotation because he wanted greater fruitfulness. Doesn't that tell you something about a God that loves us enough to say, I understand you're weary. I get it. And I'm going to build something into the rhythm of your life that allows me to meet your weariness where you are. And I'm going to replenish you. I'm going to pump nutrients into you, spiritual nutrients, and build you back up again so that when you go out, you're going to be fruitful again. And you're going to be inspired. And you're going to have new energy. And you're going to make a difference in your world. More so than if you had not observed a Sabbath rest. Well, there's also just the serious things that we looked at as the intense. I'll go through all four of those briefly. Rest from our routine work. It gives us physiological restoration. One of the first jobs I got in Phoenix when we had gotten married, Joy and I, was working for Kohaku. It was uh, two letters of each of the three guys that founded the business, and we made closet doors. It was a glorious job. And one of the first things that I got pointed toward was a big semi-truck that had backed into the loading dock. And he said, you and you go out and unload those doors and line them up in order of height. Tallest over here, short ones over there. Go. If you haven't gotten all done by lunchtime, go ahead and take your lunch and then finish them after lunch. And they opened the back of that truck and I looked down at this cavernous truck. You know in the cameras on TV when everything kind of goes out of focus and it goes... That's what my brain did. And I got home that night and I crawled into bed and I cried and I said, I can't do this job. This is not going to work. I was not a muscular fella, not like I am now. <laughs> oh, that's, I forgot, Mark, no funny jokes from the pulpit. <clears throat> that's the rule. So I, I persisted and I went back and I wound up getting some muscles from doing heavy work like that, but I needed restoration. I cannot imagine doing that seven days a week. Something would have broken down. I was also feeling more called into doing things that would involve my mind and not so much the body. But it allows physical restoration, physiological help. It allows physical healing. When some of the parts of our bodies need to be replenished, it's because sometimes we'll tear something or something is just not quite right. Rest helps with the healing process for that. It boosts our immune system. And boy, howdy, haven't we all needed to reboost our immune systems after being apart from all the people for two years so that we're all starting to catch normal stuff again? It improves your memory. Now, I found that to be true even working on my master's, and I did it almost accidentally. Instead of pulling an all-nighter, which would leave me twitching and hard to focus and tired and unable to concentrate really well, I figured that if I would study the evening before the test and then sleep on it and try to let my brain rest, knowing that there's something happening with the information I had put into it the night before, when I awoke the next morning, all that information had been processing itself in my brain. And I did so much better on my tests if I would have a good night's sleep after studying. I think God is showing all of us through this Sabbath rest principle that in every area of our lives, the Sabbath is for our benefit, and it's positive. And when we try to improve on it or change it, we wind up doing something detrimental rather than helping ourselves. It stimulates creativity. I also noticed that when I took a couple of classes that required creativity, one of them was a writing class, and we were writing for drama, that if I was just stuck with the blank page and couldn't come up with anything, 
I would read some things that were creative in other people and then go take a 20-minute nap. And again, there's something happening in the operating system of our brain in the background that would be absorbing that stuff. And then when I would get up from that little 20-minute nap, my brain was firing off because it was rested. I wasn't pushing against those things, and the ideas would come so freely. God does amazing things through his principles that he gives us for our benefit, including this Sabbath principle. So that's rest from routine work. How about spending time in public and private worship? It resets our focus on what matters the most. Because boy, isn't it easy for us to drift our focus away into the circumstances around us. Some of us have had some sleepless nights either staying up watching the news or praying for Ukraine and all the people there. I remember watching a friend of mine who posted something because they had a Zoom meeting where one Ukrainian Baptist preacher was encouraging other people through Zoom, and so it was able to get out. Somebody recorded it and put it out onto the Internet. It gave us so much of a, a more personal peek at what's happening there, helping us understand how we might be praying for those folks. It resets our focus. It reminds us that we're not alone in our struggles. When we're isolated and we've been struggling, the isolation just seems to grow our struggles. It seems to pump them up and make them, make them overwhelmingly large. But when I get around other people and we start sharing with one another and we understand, you go through that too? Oh yeah, definitely. We do that in our pastor's monthly meetings. And it's, it feels so good to know that those guys struggle with the same stuff I struggle with. And I think that in itself is one of the reasons why we need each other in corporate worship in addition to our private worship time. It helps us remember who provides everything we need. I remember a friend of mine had a college kid. He used to complain all the time, oh, dad's cooking again? And he would cook, and they would have some of the same old stuff, and he would complain all the time, okay, I guess I'll eat it. And then he went off to college, and he didn't come home until Thanksgiving. And his dad cooked, and he said, this is the best meal, dad. His dad was looking around, and he looked at the food, and he said, this is the same stuff I was feeding you before you went to college. He says, I know, but you haven't eaten in the cafeteria. Somehow it reminded him all that had been provided for him, but that he was taking for granted. And oh man, don't we do that at times. It's so easy for us to be focusing on what we don't have and what's not going right, and then we worship for a while, and suddenly we're reminded, oh yeah, he's provided everything. Some of the songs that we sing talk about even the breath that we're breathing. You know, you are my breath. Without you, we would have nothing. And then I go home and I realize, yeah, I've been kind of in a rucka rucka mood and I'm focusing on the wrong stuff. God, thank you for that. Let me make a list as I fall asleep tonight of all the things you've provided for me today. It's amazing how that resets our attitude. Sabbath rest. How about worshiping, which allows us to serve the Lord and others. And by serving others, we are serving the Lord. When you've done it unto the least of these. It stimulates us to care for one another, spurring one another on to good works, to love and good deeds, as it says in the New Testament. You know that song? Because I'm easy, easy like a Sunday morning, Lionel Richie. That was not written by somebody who serves on a ministry team <laughs> in their local church. Because Sunday mornings are not easy for people who serve so that we can do what we're doing right now. But I'll guarantee you that it's an act of worship when they do that. And when I get home, sometimes for a late lunch, because sometimes it takes longer than other days, I'm exhausted physically, but I'm so filled up to overflowing with peace and tranquility and gratitude for having spent time with the people I love, serving the God we love. There's something amazing about what happens with that. That's the good kind of tired. 
And I know, what you, I know that you know what I mean when you say a good tired. There are certain times of tired, kinds of tired that when you crawl into bed, you, you just smile on your face and every muscle hurts. And you're going, that was great. I am so exhausted in a good way. And that's the kind of rest for our souls that I think the Sabbath rest intended for us to do. And we tend to mistake the wrong kinds of rest for rest. Rest is an activity. And God teaches us that through the Sabbath rest principle. I knew a lady who grew flowers. She's with the Lord now. She lived out in Adrian. And she had a green thumb. She could grow the most amazing, beautiful, colorful flowers. But she didn't do it just for herself. She could have sat in her house surrounded by this gorgeous scenery that she had planted. But she did that so that she could serve other people. And she was constantly cutting flowers, arranging them, taking them to neighbors, taking them to people in hospitals. That was her ministry. And I love that because she understood that it built other people up and it helped her feel like she had a sense of purpose in everything she was doing for that. Serving others reminds us that it's not all about us. And we can worship as we're doing that. Knew several other people who would take their kids to the Hope Clinic and serve over there. We haven't been able to do some corporate gatherings with larger groups there because of the pandemic, but they would still do that, sign up for a time, go in there. Sometimes they'd go to the basement. They had the pantry, food pantry, and they would have huge donations of food from different locations and they would all be hodgepodge and not organized very well and they had this organizational skill they would just put things in the right places on the shelves to make it easier so that when people came to get food it would all be organized and there's such a good feeling about doing even something as simple as putting food on a shelf when you're doing it unto the least of these my little ones know another lady that started volunteering her time uh, periodically at her local animal shelter and it boosted her mood because she loves animals and she needed to serve, but she was finding it hard to find out where she could do that. And it fit her in a number of respects for a variety of reasons, some health reasons and some other things that folded into those things. But she loved it. And she said, I recognize that all those years that I used to have some organizational skill that went into what I used to do in my job were coming in handy with that. And they seem to appreciate that because they don't have time to organize certain things. And I'm able to do that for them. And it makes me feel good, makes them feel good. It's a win-win. Plus, it's allowing her to meet new people that she didn't have in her circle of influence before. So now she's able to start meeting people and share her faith winsomely as they have the right questions for her to talk about it. She's not a preachy type, but she's sharing her faith. We're already seeing people stepping forward. Thank you for those of you who have already started to say, how can I help with the Afghan resettlement ministry? Keep praying, as Steve mentioned in the announcements. We need God's direction for the next step. But we are going to help somehow. I know that God has a plan for involving our congregation in helping somehow with getting families resettled once they're here. They've been vetted. Uh, they have a lot of government assistance. They've had all the help they can getting to a point, but then they're going to get stuck, and they're really going to need some desperate help. And as Stephanie pointed out, this mom's heart of hers that's breaking, thinking of a large family in one tiny motel room with kids and nothing to do. <laughs> so we know that they're going to be some desperate folks in need of help. Keep praying for that. But as we do so, as we're doing it unto others, we're doing it unto the Lord, and that's a, a part of our worship as well. And then number four, Helping us anticipate the eternal Sabbath. It heightens anticipation. These countless benefits of a rhythm of rest that God builds into the Sabbath rest principle in our lives includes worship, both private and public. Sometimes I'll just put my headphones on and have private worship by listening to some of my favorite praise tunes. 
And God speaks to me so richly through those times when I'm not around anybody else. But we need both, corporate and together, or, and private. Um, let me give you an example of rest and how it builds anticipation. I'm reluctant to do this because I haven't done this in quite a while, but I'm going to try. Somehow in music, which is an expression of creativity because God puts music and creativity into our world as well, he put a lot of things in there so that if you listen to different people in symphonies and other kinds of uh, music, there are rests, and the rests are there for a reason. If you think of fine arts and a painter, happy little tree over here, you don't want to just smear everything with paint. Sometimes you need white stuff over here, and you need a sky there and a cloud there and a happy little tree over there, because it's the absence of paint or a difference of things that adds variety to it that builds anticipation and takes you somewhere else. So let's, let's try this and see where the rests come in. Okay. Just, just a little clue there. There's something that causes our brains to look forward to it. It's like when somebody walks up to the, to the door and they go, you're anticipating something. We know something else is coming. It doesn't take much imagination to figure out that we have built in such layers, so many layers of busy activity into our lives that we are not allowing ourselves active rest that builds anticipation for something better. High-paying jobs require all the energy we can muster, and they're always expecting more. A lot of bosses will say, I need more productivity. If you're putting in 60 hours, I want 70. And then they'll say, there's plenty of people standing in line that would love your job, so if you don't do it, we'll kick you out and get somebody else. Lower-paying jobs are no better because they don't put enough food on the table, so people are sometimes working two and even three jobs. And so with that in mind, America is one of the most overworked societies in the world. And we're not giving time for Sabbath kinds of rest, restorative rest that helps us anticipate something greater. Technology, you can work from anywhere these days. That's a blessing and a curse. It has been very helpful in some situations. I know it has in our situation. It has in my daughter's situation. And yet, it's also something that, as she said, sometimes she'll say, Dad, you're being the pocket pastor again. We can be too instantly accessible. And therefore, we have this driving need to always answer immediately every request that comes our way, and then we're not allowing those margins of Sabbath rest into our lives. Work versus family, that has been shifting over the last few decades. In the agricultural norm, where a lot of times you'd have three generations of people living on the farm, and everybody was pitching in and working, but family was your focus. Work was just there because you had to do it. But that was so you could provide food and sustenance and a roof over your head. It wasn't because that's what I identified you. You didn't identify yourself with your job like it is today. Then we became upwardly mobile, and now people are looking for that job. Because if I can climb the ladder and get to that job, then I'll have worth. And that's what I identify myself by. So what happens to family in that? It goes away. 
It scatters. They're not a priority any longer. And so there are all these things that we can see that we need the Sabbath. We need a Sabbath rest, and God gives it to us for our benefit, not to make our life miserable. Jesus knew that. He knew the benefits of a Sabbath rest, and he wanted to restore the original intent to the Sabbath, not just do away with it. Let me read something. It's a a lengthy several bits of excerpt, some excerpts from a New York Times magazine article. Interestingly, it comes all the way back from 2003. I'm thinking she was insightful, and I think it even more meaningful today than it would have been back then. And she came from a Jewish background. Her name is Judith, you find her name in here somewhere, Judith Shulevitz, lived in New York, a cultural Jewish woman. She didn't observe the Sabbath for a long time after growing up in the synagogue as a a young child. And then she starts writing about what was starting to happen to her and why she started drifting back toward regular corporate worship. She says, this is in New York Times, March 2003, About a decade ago, I developed a full-blown weekend disorder. Perhaps because I am Jewish, it came on Friday nights. My mood would darken until by Saturday afternoon, I would be unresponsive and uh, morose. My normal routine, which involved brunch with friends and swapping tales of misadventure and the relentless quest for romance and professional success, made me feel impossibly restless. I started spending Saturdays by myself. After a while, I got lonely and did something that, as a teenager profoundly put off by her religious education, I could never have imagined wanting to do. I began dropping in on a nearby synagogue. I sat in the back of the sanctuary and discovered that I had no interest in praying, which I hardly remembered how to do anyway. What I really wanted to do was to listen to the hymns which offered the uncanny comfort of songs I had heard in childhood. Most people mistakenly believe that all you must do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You cannot downshift casually and easily. That's a phrase that struck me. You cannot downshift casually and easily. And then she says, this is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate the insight that, and I quote this, interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will, one that has to be bolstered by habit as well as by social sanction, meaning that we need good peer pressure of other people who see the value of that, and they hold us accountable for that, knowing that we all benefit when we do what God has given to us for our benefit. And then she says, and this is really insightful, this is from a Jewish person, which I love, the story told by the Sabbath is that of creation. We rest because God rested on the seventh day. What leads from God to humankind is the notion of imitatio dei, the imitation of God. In other words, we rest in order to honor the divine in us, to remind ourselves that there is more to us than just what we do during the week. And I say, Judith, well done. You captured the essence of what, in the New Testament, Jesus is trying to recapture in our hearts 
And now she can just take that other last step. And I wish I could have coffee with you, Judith, so we could talk about our different belief systems and where I came to find my faith in Jesus Christ, who is the fulfilled Old Testament. Anyway, let's look at the purpose of anticipation for a future Sabbath God has planned for those who keep their focus on Him. And then we're going to, next week, talk about another attitude of some people and why they were so upset when Jesus did something good for somebody on the Sabbath. The Sabbath stills the restless soul. It helps us to interrupt our ceaseless striving. When Jesus and his disciples got in trouble for picking little bitty pieces of grain in a field, which is very different from harvesting, he realized that the religious leaders had just completely missed the point. What he was trying to show us is that there is an inner restlessness. I think we've all felt it. I feel it. I've talked with a lot of pastors. They feel it. We're always striving. We, we think that if we stop too long and if we're not doing something productive, somebody might catch us doing nothing. And we'll feel like we're being guilty of getting away with something, playing hooky or whatever. Rather than understanding that some of the most productive work in our life can be the work of Sabbath rest. Because rest is an activity, especially if it's spiritual discipline. Instead, we tend to want to replace all that stuff with more doing and achieving, and we put it in the name of religion, and we're doing that not even, represent, not even recognizing that what we're doing is exactly what the Pharisees had done, but we're just doing it in modern context. Thinking that, man, if we just do this better, and if we can have this ministry, and we can get these numbers up, and we can do that, then God will really be pleased with us. And we miss the point. It's all about rest in Him to let Him reinvigorate us with Himself. Mark 2, 25 through 26, Jesus gives this little statement that points them back to the Old Testament, these angry legalistic leaders, to a time back in the Old Testament when David and his men were on an important mission. It's one good takeaway from that. And I think it's great. Why did He allow them to eat that consecrated bread? Consecrated bread, there were 12 loaves, I assume, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, put in some very special, consecrated, blessed, clean vessels in the temple on the Sabbath, and at the end of the week, the priests were allowed to eat that bread. But only the priests, because that was part of service that allowed for them to meet their needs as well. So why were the men allowed to do that? Because God had called them on the mission they were on. And because they were God's vessels on His mission, doing His purpose, they were consecrated. So by putting consecrated bread into a consecrated vessel, they were okay. And that became a foreshadowing of something that Jesus would make much more clear to us through his life and ministry and then his death, burial, and resurrection that all of us, when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, are consecrated by him as well and that we are the priesthood of believers, collectively, plural. And therefore, we are consecrated and that's kind of a picture of what happens in communion as well because we're taking the bread of life into ourselves the body that was broken for us. It's an amazing picture, gorgeous word pictures, and Jesus was pointing them back to that, knowing that they would have known that. And I love that analogy. So Jesus sets the record straight. He says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. This is the New Living Translation. And not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So the question becomes, are we still supposed to observe the Sabbath? Yes. Absolutely we should. But this obedience to God related to a Sabbath observance becomes so much more broad and deep than just spending a time 
singing songs and listening to a sermon once a week on Sunday morning. Sabbath principle is built into all of who we are because it's the rhythm of rest that God gives every believer for everything we do in life. The Sabbath rest stills the inner voice, the one from the enemy that says you've got to keep striving. You've got to keep doing these things because it's your productivity that matters. It's your performance that matters. People won't accept you. They won't love you. You won't feel valued if you don't keep doing that. That's the enemy. That's not from God. Sabbath rest stills that voice and reminds us that we're his and therefore we're beloved children and we can bask in that and relax into his grace. That, when we get to glimpse that, is what we anticipate for the ultimate future Sabbath. Let me close with this. I get to do a funeral. And when I say get to, I mean that. This is one of those honors. I get to honor a dear friend of ours on Tuesday who's with the Lord. She has entered into her ultimate Sabbath rest. And her life is the message. I get to just preach her life because it was such a witness. And she understood about that. She knew about striving. She knew about trials. She knew about physical ailment. She knew about overcoming. She knew about all of that. And yet she never complained. She kept getting repointed in the direction of true north through her Sabbath principle that she lived out in her life. And so when I get to eulogize Sue, I'm actually just pointing to somebody who's pointing it right back up to the initiator and the creator of the Sabbath rest that's available to all of us. And I'm sure that when she entered into her perfect rest, he was able to look at her and say, Sue, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Join in the joy of your salvation. You're a joint heir. Come and enjoy your inheritance. And rest for her is not going to be doing nothing forever. It's going to be activity without the constraints of sin. And that's what we get to look forward to. And that's what the Sabbath principle does for us if we'll continually regulate that by allowing the rhythm of rest in our own lives. And I hope and pray that we'll do it so much more effectively, not because we can make it happen and turn that into rigidity and rules too, to say, you didn't do your Sabbath rest today, because then we're right back out of it again. So let's incorporate that by allowing him to guide us into the stillness. Be still, my soul, and know that you are God. Let's pray. Father, this is a tough one. This passage is tough. It's been tough for me because I recognize in myself that relentless restlessness that tends to try to drive me into a place that steals the joy of my relationship with you and others. And it keeps me from enjoying all that you've given me to enjoy on this planet in preparation for my ultimate Sabbath rest. And so I pray, starting with me and uh, with everybody else who is hearing these words, that you will work your Sabbath rest into our lives so that the rhythm of rest that comes from you will guide us into fruitfulness and joy and new relationships with others, that they will see that in our lives and be drawn to you in us, all of the above. Thank you for a beautiful plan that you gave, have given to us for our benefit. We want to redirect that glory right back up to you, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.